Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 3. And the message was titled, Ezekiel's Mandate. You know, sometimes, and again, it's, it's, it's a fallacy where people read the Bible and they think, well, these were superhuman. These were, you know, perfect people that God used. But what you find is when you actually read the Bible, they're no different than you and me. They're sinners. They're frail. They have uh, issues. They have shortcomings. Um, and when you really start to understand the scripture, Old and New Testament, what you realize is God could use me as well. And I think that's really the blessing is that when we talked about Ezekiel's mandate, right, we also talked about what is our mandate? What are our spiritual gifts? How do we use them? In what small way do we, you know, glorify God? You know, if probably if you could interview Ezekiel and you, you wanted to give him the microphone and think that maybe he thought he was a celebrity, that probably was the furthest thing from his mind. So it's very important that we, we look at those things, right? In today's message, we're going to see uh, the message is titled Authentic uh, or Genuine Ministry, and you can say authentic as well. And that's really in contrast to what people see as show ministry or uh, disingenuous ministry, right? So we're going to look at that, and really we're going to get some pointers in how we serve the Lord and how we can learn from uh, the people in the Bible, Ezekiel and others. So we're going to look at this in four parts. We're going to jump in. And just so you know, there's going to be a little, if you were here or you got the message last Sunday, I'm not going to go over the redundancy. There is redundancy because this is more of like a telephoto lens, right? Um, or no, let me back up. Yes, telephoto lens. You know, you're seeing things more in detail where last Sunday we spoke generally about min ministry, but it was more of a wide angle lens. So you get the big picture here. We're going to see more detail. So I'm not going to go, I'm not going to repeat the things that we talked about last Sunday. We're seeing four parts. And I think you're going to be blessed. You know, as we go through Ezekiel, you know, there's, for those of you that are new to the Bible, and we have some people that are new, um, this was written some 2,500 years ago. That's a long time ago. The United States was not even a thought. I, most of this area was barren and different people groups settled among it. Uh, so it was a very long time ago, but Ezekiel prophesied things that happened in our time period, right? And that's how you know the Bible is true. If you're seeking the truth, and I did this uh, some 20 something years ago, you know, I had the, all the different holy books and I'm going through them and, and I want to just follow the truth. Uh, and what I came to the conclusion was that no other holy book can actually predict things with stunning accuracy, stunning accuracy. And these are just regular people. So how could that be unless they were tied into a God who's outside of time? So verse four in Ezekiel three, it says, and he, God said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are sent to a people of you are not sent to a people, very important, of unfamiliar speech and of hard language, but to the house of Israel, his own people. 
not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. I'm going to come back to that. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. And this is God speaking. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. A lot of uh, colloquialisms, you know, things back in the Hebraic language that if you study them, you know, we, we try to go through some of these. What is he talking about? Verse 9, like Adam and stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, receive into your heart all of my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears and go get to the captives, to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So one out of four is Ezekiel is instructed about the details of his ministry, four through seven. Ezekiel is sent to his own people, which can be more difficult than going to foreigners, than going to the Gentiles at the time. Very different cultures, very different um, theology. So everything is different. However, God is saying that they would receive you, because God knows everything, easier than your own people are going to receive you. That's actually fascinating. Kind of reminds me of the book of Jonah with the Ninevites, right? I talked a little bit about that in the announcements. Uh, even uh, Jonah was annoyed that these pagans received God's word so quickly and repented. It really bothered him. And, and that's a, it's kind of, it's not supposed to be funny, but it's, you can find the humor in that. Jesus said that a prophet is not without honor except in his own countries. Right? His own area. Sometimes it's easier to share God's truth with strangers. And we know this than family members, people within our own culture. There's just so many truths here. And many prophets had this trouble, right? How many of you, I know for me, when you try to go to the, your loved ones or people you grew up with, I remember with my siblings and my parents and you know, I'm trying to share, you know, I'm born again of the spirit, trying to share the things of God. And they just keep resisting me. And they're like, yeah, but you, I know you grew up with me. I, I was a sinner from birth. I get it. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just telling you that I found the truth and I want to share that with you. Eventually they got saved, but um, oftentimes it wasn't because of me. It was because of strangers. And here I am thinking, I said the same things he said, you know what I'm saying? But it was easier to come from somebody outside of our culture. It happens sometimes, right? But when we as God representatives are rejected sharing God's truths, what does he say here? And we see this with the prophet Samuel. Samuel was kind of bothered, uh, maybe acutely uh, depressed about how his people were rejecting his message. And God shares with the prophet Listen, you're carrying my message. I'm paraphrasing. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. But when they reject the message, they're also rejecting the messenger. Think about that for a minute. We're just messengers. We're just sharing. We found the bread of life. We want other people to find the bread of life as well. And when they reject those truths, they're rejecting God. And they have to really think about that. 
And, and maybe that was me, definitely in my early years, and hopefully or thankfully over time I changed and I actually found God. Obviously, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't. But I did reject that, that message in the beginning. You know, your flesh, you know, it's just, just this tug of war between what God is trying to do in you spiritually and your flesh still trying to hold on to those old things, those dead things. Verse 8 and 9, Ezekiel is given the courage he needs from God. And he will do the same thing with us. There's a, a term, it's sort of a biblical sort of psychological term called fear of man or fear of woman. And it's when we um, really should be sharing and we get scared because, <laughs> like Ezekiel, you look at someone's face, you read their body language, maybe, they're, maybe it's Thanksgiving, maybe you know, your relatives have come over and you, you really want to share the love of God. And they, they, you can see the mood changes at the table and they're not really happy with your message. So Ezekiel had the same issue. Isn't God's word amazing? 2,500 years ago, it says it, 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 the same truths are understood in 2021. So he says, don't be afraid of their faces, but I'm going to give you the courage that you need. Fear of man, it, and I see this a lot with social media and social groups, taken to the extreme, you don't want to offend. You know, in society today, everyone's offended by everything. And you're afraid to trigger somebody. And basically, if that's your fear, your fear of man or fear of woman, um, you're never going to do anything. Sometimes we offend people with the truth, right? If you go to the doctor and he says, hey, you need to do this aggressive treatment if you're going to live. That's offensive. I would be offended if I was, and especially if he didn't have a bedside manner, you know what I'm saying? But he, he's trying to share the truth with me to save my life. And here we want to share the truth with others to save their spiritual lives. I was difficult back in the day. came from a broken home. I'm so glad that there were men of God who are older than me that offended me with the truth. And I got saved and, you know, I actually went back in my past trying to find some of these people and I couldn't. Some of them passed away, but they know. I was the fruit of their labors. So, you know, it's, it's worth Right? The, the benefit-cost ratio. Verse 10 through 11. A great tragedy when someone hits rock bottom and they're still stubborn. They're still rejecting God. They're still rejecting their loved ones, the people that care for them. And this is what happened. The Israelites had hit rock bottom. The depths that they plunged from their sinfulness and their horrible behavior that was in some cases worse than their pagan neighbors. Right? And still being expatriated to another country, being conquered by another nation. They still were being stubborn. That, to me, is a great tragedy. When someone definitely hits the bottom, and they could look up, they could fall on the Son of Man, or the Son of God, actually Jesus, in the New Testament that we hear about, and, and be picked up, but they refuse. They stay on the ground in their stubbornness, proverbially, proverbially and we've all seen it. And if that's you this morning, don't stay on the ground. If you're at the bottom, especially spiritually, consider Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's why you're here today. And I wonder sometimes how low and how desperate American culture has to become before we get the message as well. You see a lot of things that are happening in our country and a lot of forces that are so trying to move us into a post-Christian nation, right? I mean, how much do we have to understand that secular humanism and 
Um, it just, it's not going to save anybody. It's not even going to fix society. Society's getting worse. The one thing that'll fix it, the Prince of Peace, has, is largely being rejected in our culture, even in some churches. And in verse 10, God says to Ezekiel, you tell them all, all my words. He doesn't say to Ezekiel, just tell them some of the words that kind of make you feel good and you think it'll make them feel good. He doesn't say that. He says, tell them all my words. And I tell you what, the mark of a false teacher is purposely leaving out the difficult things in scripture. Right? And I've heard some of these. I, I call them motivational speakers. Some of these very famous preachers, and I've heard one in particular say, I think it was on Larry King, uh, you know, I only share encouraging words. I don't say anything negative. Well, then you're not a pastor. That's great. It says it above your office. It says it on your tax forms. But you are not a pastor if you're not sharing all the truths of God's words. Sometimes it's hard to do. Why should Ezekiel and we have to do it, but some of these famous guys don't have to? You're a motivational speaker. And hey, there's, there's need for that in our culture. But don't call yourself a pastor. I got to tell you, folks, that um, not everything God calls us to do is going to be fun but it is going to be rewarding. I can't tell you how many times as a, as a pastor that I've dealt with people who are literally moments away from perishing. And it's gut-wrenching, but it's the right thing to do. You understand? You know, there's some that uh, in the Christian culture that they don't want anything negative, like, the, you know, like some of these preachers. And, you know, and their lives are shallow. They're self-absorbed. They never stretch themselves. They never go outside their comfort zones. Because they don't want to. They don't want to. Right? And that, quite frankly, is sad for them. Because there's so much depth when you can minister to somebody in their worst time. It just, you know what? It, it makes us, we're, we're useful in the kingdom of heaven. We need that, especially in our culture. Verse 12, continuing on. He says, Then the Spirit lifted me up. So this is Ezekiel speaking. And I heard behind me a great thundering voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from his place. Right? Wherever the Lord goes, his glory goes. We see that his glory went into the temple. It left the temple, depending on the circumstances. But God is also everywhere. And God fills his people with his Holy Spirit when they go, and they do, they go out and they do his will. 13, I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another. This goes back to Ezekiel 1. And the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise. So the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the heat of my spirit or the anger of my spirit. I'm going to come back to that. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Then I came to the captives at Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Kibar. And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. So two out of four is Ezekiel is taken where he needs to go regardless of his feelings. You know, last time I was on uh, the radio Bridge Bible Talk, a question came up about feelings. How much when we go through this life as Christians, should we, should we just trust our feelings, right? And, and that can be dangerous because you may have to do something that's right but it doesn't necessarily feel good. And I'm going to talk about some Christian cliches um, that we believe in the Christian culture that may not be completely reflected in Scripture. 
What a check to our culture where everything, it seems today, is based on feelings. Remember, God's word is often going to run afoul of the culture. You know what the problem was with First and Second Corinthians, with the Corinthian church? The problem was is that church was made up of people's opinions and feelings. And the Apostle Paul had to rebuke them in so many areas. Uh, because they were starting to reflect the pagan culture instead of reflecting Christ. And that's why the church was becoming un- ineffective. And that can happen today, too. You know, I got to be honest with you. You know, when you do the right thing and you make a commitment, um, it can be tough. And I, I know it's going to sound strange, but I never met a pastor. And if I did, I would, I would question. I, I, we need to talk, bro. I never met a pastor who ever said, oh, I love doing funerals. Never heard it 20 years. It's funny, isn't it? As a pastor, never heard it. I don't love doing funerals. I try to do them well to honor the deceased and also the family that are grieving and mourning. And it's, if you're in that position, it is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. But it's also the right thing to do. What if nobody stepped up to do the eulogy or to honor the person? Um, I mean, that's a tragic thing. So we, we do things at times that really stretch us, that are really tough. And Ezekiel was no different. Sometimes uh, the Christian culture today uh, romanticizes some of the prophets and the Apostle Paul, but they don't realize that they, if they were thrust into that ministry, it might not be so romantic. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, and that's, the, listen, by a show of hands, just think about this for a second. Who here in this room, by a show of hands, has an absolutely perfect life? Not one hand went up. And if it did, I would ask to see you after service. <laughs> so, you know, life has its ups and downs. Life can be like a roller coaster. So why would you listen to a preacher that only, that only looked at one part of what the scripture talks about? Don't we need to be ministered to in our difficult times? Sometimes when I go through these hard books, people come up to me and say, man, you don't know what the last few months have been like. But going through Isaiah or going through Ezekiel, I, I tell you what, I'm really ministered to. The circumstances aren't changing, but, but the teaching is ministering to me. So it's pretty, a pretty fascinating thing to look at. Uh, verse 14 is powerful. And it says this right in the Bible. Ezekiel is what? He's bitter and he's angry. <laughs> I love the honesty here. And again, and please don't get upset with me if you use this a lot, but there is a cliche among Christianity, and it says, you know, that we, we only do things when we feel a peace in our heart. Be careful with that one. When you have to do an absolutely gut-wrenching thing, but it's the right thing to do, you don't necessarily feel, you know, you, you can sense God's hand, you can sense his commission, you can sense fulfillment, but Sometimes these things are okay and sometimes they're not okay. What was Ezekiel's problem? Hey, he was a POW. He was a prisoner of war in a foreign land. This guy turns 30 and he's going to be a priest and things are going to go great. And he's going to minister in Jerusalem. He's going to minister to the people. He probably had a servant's heart. And then the Babylonians break, well, they break through the wall and they, and they take him against his will to Babylon. So, you know, is Ezekiel struggling with his emotions? 
I'll be honest with you, I struggle with my emotions sometimes. I'm Mediterranean people. We're emotional people. We're passionate. So it's like I have to say, Joe, put your feelings aside. This is something that you have to do. Amen? Amen. Folks, this, is, this book is going to stretch us. It is going to stretch us just by listening and reading. And you're going to do something at some point, even if it's something small that nobody sees and minister to somebody. And you're going to look back on this and say, you know what? Ezekiel helped me. He helped me at least to get the right frame of mind. It wasn't easy, but at least I was somewhat prepared. It's heavy stuff here. He's probably thinking, and again, I'm paraphrasing. I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll interview him if they let me. Uh, But he probably thinks, I'll never see my home again. You know, I'm never going to get the ministry to Hawaii that I always wanted. You know what I'm saying? Um, I got to tell you, 20 years ago, I took over a church left in disarray by by an outgoing pastor. And he had some factions in it. And it was cleanup time. And it was... Part of me for years was saying, do I really want to do this? Did God really call me? But 20 years later, looking at the beautiful fruit from this church and and the turnover, I think to myself, you know what? It was the right thing to do. Um, Folks, it's, listen, so let's speculate. All right, let's throw conjecture. Um, Why was Ezekiel bitter and angry? And we just talked about this. Could be the circumstances we covered. Could it also be that his own countrymen had evil responses towards him? You ever share the truth with somebody and they turn on you and you do it in love and you're nice and you're not yelling and you're not screaming. You're just out of love and they, they savage you. Then they go on Facebook or Twitter or something and savage you some more. And you're like, okay, this is not in the Bible. No good deed will go unpunished. Okay. But you think that, why did I even bother getting involved? And your heart was in the right place. So Ezekiel has this situation where he loves his countrymen. God raised them up because he had the right heart. And he's trying to share with them. He's trying to help pick them up, dust them off. And, you know, and that's what God wants to do with us when we hit the bottom. When we hit rock bottom, he wants to pick us up again. And they're resisting him. And they're giving him such a hard time. And God's ministry is not necessarily easy. He's kind of getting, he's kind of hemmed in from both sides here. So guess what? He's bitter and he's angry and that's okay. That's okay. That's what I love about the scripture. There's honesty here. You ever go to a church where they expect you to walk in the door and put on your phony smile and dress perfectly and say the, the, you know, the lingo. We don't ask you to do that here because it's not real. You can come in here and have a bad mood. Just don't push anybody, you know, just go sit by yourself somewhere if you, if you're feeling ornery, but come, come to the church, you know, I mean, it's good. So uh, you're, you almost identify with Ezekiel through reading about him, right? I'm going to, I tell you what, some of you that are used to the prosperity gospel or motivational speaker pastors, you're going to look at the Bible differently. Who knew? Some might have said, oh, Ezekiel, I love his prophecies. What a great guy. That must have been awesome being there, listening to him. Then you see the human side of him as we go through the book. The Bible doesn't leave that out. The Bible didn't leave it out when the disciples were struggling with their faith. When Jesus was raising the dead and then he's got to, he says, I got to die for your sins. You know, the disciples were a little confused for a while. 
And the Bible didn't leave that out. It told us about Thomas. Thomas had to see everything before he believed. He had to see the resurrection Christ, and that wasn't enough. He had to put his finger in the wounds. Jesus' glorified body. You know, Peter, how many times is Peter going to deny Jesus? Oh, yeah, I'll go with you to the death. And then when the rubber hits the road and the soldiers are out and they're abusing Jesus before the crucifixion, Peter's just like, I don't know him. The Bible doesn't leave that out. And you know what? If the Bible left all of that out, I wouldn't be the pastor today. I'd say these people are perfect. I can't do this. But God showed me that we're, we're all the same. And it really is a matter of who's going to step up to serve him and who's just not. Right? Those two categories of self-professing believers. Okay. So Ezekiel, just to, uh, you know, because I don't want to go into the redundancy, but if you didn't get chapter one, so powerful. The angels, the heavenly vision, um, and you see a little bit of vestiges of this in the voice, the wings, the wheels. Um, you can just go to chapter one. It's in two parts. If you didn't get it, it's pretty powerful. Uh, so you see that this whole uh, angelic uh, accouterment is still there, right? And the Lord is still with him. Now, I'm going to make a, a connection here with Acts 8.39, where Philip... So people, you know, people do this. And, and to me, you can have a group of theologians in a room, and they can have a difference of opinion, and that's fine. As long as we understand the main point of God wanting to save us and sending this, his son into the world to save us from our sins so we can have everlasting life, that's important. But they can agree on some of the others or disagree. Uh, some think it was more of a vision. Others think he was actually physically removed to be where the captives were so he could minister to them. I think it's the latter. You know, we see this with Philip. Uh, when you look at the, the Middle East and you look at Israel and as you go down to uh, North Africa and the Arabian Peninsula, there are some very barren areas there. And Philip was, was taken to minister to the Ethiopian treasurer or eunuch and share the gospel with him so that he could take that back to Africa. Pretty cool, huh? So, you know, you didn't have a train or a plane, so God had to get him there quickly. So you could call it teleporting, transporting, whatever you want to call it. I see a similarity with Philip in the New Testament as with Ezekiel being taken to this place where the captives were. Remember, Babylon is a huge area when you study ancient Babylon. You know, God had to put him where he needed to be. Okay. He mourned seven days. The Apostle Paul says in the New Testament to weep with those who weep. There needs to be a side of us as, as believers where we have the heart of God, where we're compassionate. You know, we mourn with those that mourn, right? When Jesus came to the village where Lazarus had died, Lazarus was his friend and his sisters. And they were crying and the relatives, Lazarus was a great guy and Jesus wept. Go figure. God the Son, he, he, as he's on the earth, he, he feels, he has the empathy and the compassion for a world that's lost due to sin. Now, of course, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but I, I think Jesus could, he could feel the sorrow of those that lost him. And, and I can only speculate, I'm going to speculate again, that Lazarus was young. It was sort of untimely that he died. So he raises him back up again. Um, Weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Yes, we can be corrective and loving at the same time. You know, you heard the expression tough love, right? I know a lot of people know that expression, have had to use it in interventions. We can't forget the love part. 
Yes, sometimes we have to say some tough things, but we, we don't forget the love part. Did that person, even if they don't agree with us, do they know that we love them? And as the expression goes, that uh, people are more willing to listen to you about Jesus or God, right? Um, if they know that you care for them, that you're not just punching a clock and you, you go, got to go back to your religion and check off. I went to so many houses or I spoke to so many. We don't do that here. We go as the Lord leads us. But do they know that we care? Do, we, do they know that? Um, continuing on. And just tell a beeb. Uh, the B and the V sound can be used interchangeably. So sometimes people say, oh, that sounds like modern day Tel Aviv in Israel. Is it? Um, Tel Aviv means the hill of ears, not these ears, of corn. Right? Very agrarian culture. So there were many places called Tel Aviv. It probably wasn't the Tel Aviv that we know of today. It was probably another place, and there were multiple places. Let me just give you another example. Bethlehem means house of bread. In Micah, when Micah was blowing our minds right before hundreds of years before Jesus came, and he's prophesying about God the Son from eternity coming to the earth and taking the form of a man, he says... But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, because there was another Bethlehem that I think had a greater population. So God was saying, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull the Messiah out of a village where there's very few people. You know, and when you start to do the odds, I, I took statistics and probabilities in college. It's a statistical impossibility what he did with bringing Christ into the world. So Bethlehem, there were multiple Bethlehems, house of bread. Remember, agrarian society. There were also multiple Tel Abibs. So I don't think it's important. People argue about this stuff. I, it just, I'm throwing it out there at you. Um, let's move on. <laughs> Verse 16. Okay. This is, this is going to be ministering to my Bible students. Um, just try to understand for the, the rest the general concept. He says, now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, right? Me saying, and again, he's, he's ministering to them. He's sitting with them. He's weeping with them. He's encouraging them. Now he has to get his commission and the details of it. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. Now, a watchman was somebody that would be in a tower. Right? They didn't have planes, they didn't have radar, they didn't have all the modern equipment, satellites that we have. So your job, if you were going to protect the town, was you would get into a high tower and stay awake. And if you saw the enemy coming, you would signal to the troops on the ground to get ready for battle. So how do I know this is, this is a spiritual uh, exercise? Because they were already overrun, right? That's why Ezekiel and a bunch of the Israelites are in Babylon. So he's not speaking literally about Ezekiel going up a tower. There's a spiritual watchmanship, and we'll talk about that. And it's sometimes you could be the uh, you could have a friend who's a Christian who's a new believer, and you you watch out for them, you look out for them. Maybe they go onto uh, the internet and find some weird pastor that says some weird stuff, and you gently you know encourage them back to the scripture and say, you know, that's probably not a guy that you start watching him. It's, you're going to get confused. So you become a watchman or a watchwoman in your own life and with your own people that you love. So Ezekiel had that role and he was tasked to do certain things. Verse 18, he says, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. 
That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. You were supposed to warn him. Now, you have to look at this in a physical sense, and I'm going to make the case for that. Yet, in these four scenarios, yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So you're good because you did what I asked you to do. You warned them. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commends iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and in his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. This is not about people losing their salvation. I'm going to get to that. Uh, Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. So this is three out of three is the watchman is a very heavy responsibility when serving God. Right. Satan had deceived the people. It was his job. Okay, we're in this place. We shouldn't be here. It's not fun. It's miserable at some times. But because of the sin of society, the protections that God, and God was very explicit with them, how he would protect them and how they would have this relationship. He just kind of stepped back. And if that's what you want to do, then you go your way. They end up getting um, taken over by another nation. This is all secular history. History's history. And he's trying to help them to pick up the pieces and start all over again. Understand? So... He's representing the human race. We talked about the son of man. But if he warns them, then it's incumbent upon them to take that warning and do something with it. Now, in the New Testament, we see similar things, a sin leading to death, a sin not leading to death. Right. We've covered this in our studies. Uh, So you can see kind of the nexus there. Remember, this is also the Old Testament. This is the old dispensation. Right. This has to do with uh, just people just going so off the rails. And you saw this with uh, you know, the Korahites. You saw this with other places in the scripture where they just they ended up losing their lives, either in battle or some other way. Right? So this is more of a physical manifestation of, of the people's behaviors, depending on and, and the consequences for that behavior. Right? It's, it's a little heavy stuff. Um, In the New Testament under Christ, what we learn more of is, remember, we're in the New Dispensation. We we learn more about spiritual death, which is actually way more important. Jesus said, don't worry about the one who can take your body, who can kill you. And after that can do nothing to you, right? Because God, if you're in Christ, it doesn't matter. They take your body, all these martyrs, they go to be with the Lord. He said, be concerned, Right? Have reverence for the one who can take the body and after that take the soul or cast that person into hell, into judgment. So a very, very, very important warnings. Now, we're, so we're looking now more of a spiritual sense. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Christ, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish hell, judgment, but have eternal life. And 17 says... God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the point 2,000 years ago. But that through him, through Christ, the world might be saved. God's desire, the Bible also tells us, is that everyone is saved. But again, he gave us free will. Some choose not to. Some choose not to. 
personal responsibility is big in this chapter. And, and you know what's interesting today in our culture? There's so many problems with our culture. I couldn't list them all in one shot. But people don't take personal responsibility. You know, they do things, they commit crimes, they hurt other people, they hurt their loved ones, and they have to blame it on something. I have no doubt in my mind that some will hear the truth over and over again. And then when they die, somehow they're going to blame God for where they are in judgment. But this is what our culture is fostering, a lack of personal responsibility. Listen, I look at my life, I look at my past, and I'm smart enough to realize biblically that I caused a lot of my own problems. (laughs) I can't blame my parents. Yeah, I came from a broken home. My parents were divorced and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But then I became an adult and I still made bad choices. Like, well, I can still blame my parents. Am I going to blame God because I didn't grow up in a Christian household? I know the truth now. Stop the blame game. You know, we have to look at our own lives and take personal responsibility. And that's all over these uh, few verses here. And if we have the truth, we need to share it. And for those who are receiving the truth, it's incumbent upon you to change and to receive the truth. For those of us that do, we have a responsibility. For those of us that hear, you also have a responsibility. Verse 22, it's all throughout the scripture. Last few verses, it says, Then the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the plain, and there I shall talk with you. So I arose and went out into the plain, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there, like the glory which I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. You know, people think, oh, uh, God is in the church. Like God can be confined somewhere. God is wherever God wants to be. He is the CEO of the universe, right? He can be where he wants to be, when he wants to be. Nothing escapes his, his notice. And I love that. Wherever you look, you know, you, wherever Ezekiel goes. Like if you get on a plane right now and go to, uh, I don't know, what would be completely on the other side of the world? Maybe China or something like that. And you land in Beijing. God is there too. God is there too. Right? You end up in North Korea, you end up in Iran, you end up in, you know, Egypt. God is, he's everywhere. You, you know, David said, where can I, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? You can't go anywhere. God is everywhere, right? All right, continue on. Verse 24. Then the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. We, we covered this last Sunday and spoke with me. And he said to me, go shut yourself inside your house. And you, O son of man, surely they will put ropes on you and bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth. Again, these are colloquialisms so that you will be mute and not be a reprover to them for they are rebellious house. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who hears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse for they are a rebellious house. Are you rebellious this morning spiritually? Why? That's offensive to me. Are you listening to the words of God? Are you allowing God's word to, to get the processes in your being to start thinking about getting closer to God, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? So there's, there's an application 2,500 years ago. There's an application today. Four out of four is, does God ever give us more than we can handle? Is another cliche, right? <laughs> Some say absolutely not. Others say yes, but the only way you're going to get through it is by leaning on him. So, uh, 
You know, I know plenty of solid saints who've been through some really tough times that say, I think uh, I got more than I could handle. And if I didn't lean on the Lord, I don't know how I would have gotten through this. So there's something about uh, being in a place that's not humanly possible, but God makes it superhuman or supernaturally possible. Pretty neat stuff. So again, we see the glory of, the, of God uh, revealed as well as the filling of the spirit. We've seen this before. Verse 24 through 27, he says, shut yourself inside your house, tongue sticking to the roof of your mouth. Then he releases it. Um, basically, what he's saying here is Ezekiel, now you ministered to them. You got your commission. I filled you with the spirit. Now go home. They all know where you live. And you can almost picture every morning Ezekiel coming out. And the people would gather and he would do a uh, sort of like what Jesus did. He would do a parable. He'd do a visual illustration. I know I'm a visual learner. Um, even when somebody says, oh, you got to listen to this teaching, this pastor, I would rather watch the video <laughs> than listen to it in the car. It's just me. I, I, he's just standing behind the pulpit. I know, I know, but I can read his body language and, you know, <clears throat> okay, we'll move on. So he's basically staying into Ezekiel. Okay, now go. Here's your marching orders. Stay home and don't talk until I tell you to. Now, remember, this was a specific uh, commission for Ezekiel. This is what I think. I think that, that Ezekiel's calling and every word out of his mouth was so important that for a time... God did not want him to get caught up in ancillary discussions, right? So when the people, when he would come out, whatever he would say, whoosh, he's going to speak. We have to listen to this. And there were times where he didn't speak. And part of that was also a reflection of God not speaking to the people because of their grievous sin and rebellion. He wanted them to come to the end of themselves. God wanted to restore his people. He wants to restore us. He wants to forgive us for our sins, but sometimes we can be rebellious. We could dig our heels in, you know? So if I can look at this uh, order for this particular time on his behavior and speech, I, I look at three things. A, it signified that Ezekiel's relationship with the Lord was that close and closer than any other personal relationship. And Jesus even told us, I'm paraphrasing, that relationships with our loved ones can get in the way of loving God. And I've often counseled people, many people, love Jesus more than blank. You can fill in the blank. It could be, could be your uh, recreational life. It could be your educational pursuits. You know, everything has to be in balance. Love Jesus above everything else, right? Relationship with the living God. B, a symbol of God's silence on the culture that refused to listen to God. So he basically gave them prophets after prophet after prophet, sometimes multiple prophets at one time. And now God's, God's saying, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to be silent. You don't want to listen to me. You ever get into a situation where you try so hard and you're talking and you're talking and you're doing all the work and the other person's not, and you just need a break. <laughs> you just, you know, a lot of you have been there. <laughs> so see, I like looking at your body language too. <laughs> Some of these things are hitting you, um, but you can see parallels today. Right. American culture. People say, well, why doesn't I hear about these things happen on the missions field? I, I hear about things happening in India and Iran and, and Africa. And, you know, it seems like God's kind of silent in the United States. 
Well, maybe God is giving us a dose of us not listening to him. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a Christian, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You pray, God hears you, have a relationship. Let me make the dichotomy or the difference or the differentiation between God dealing with us individually. If you are a believer, God's never going to leave you nor forsake you. So it's funny. That wasn't in my notes. Like he was saying, make sure you make that clear, especially to new people. He, he's, wherever we go, he's with us. He never leaves us. He never leaves us alone. However, the culture is decadent. So a, a lot of the culture are not going to hear and see. You know, when Jesus went through certain towns, I say the culture of, of just the pagan culture, right? And a lot of America has pagan culture in it. Jesus will go through certain towns and because of their unbelief, it says he didn't do many miracles there. Jesus went, okay, I'll go to the next village. You obviously don't want God. You don't want me. So I'm going to move and go to people who actually want to listen. God respects himself. He doesn't just talk and talk and please. and blah, blah, blah. He, God's like, he's God. You either want him or you don't want him. And if you don't want him, it's, it's your fault. It's my fault. It's not his fault. And then C, or the last reason I believe, is that Ezekiel was getting used to being trained to curb his tongue. And spend more time using it for God's glory. You know, how do we use our tongue? Do we engage in a lot of ancillary discussions at work? Do we engage in a lot of sophistry and, you know, just talking for the sake of talking? I can be guilty of that. Um, Or are we using our tongue to glorify God? You know, and even if it's just people see our character, maybe we're pensive. You know, the person at work that nobody likes and they're trying to, you know, get everybody together and go after that person. And you're just like, let me just step back. You think to yourself, let me, let me think and pray about this one. I don't know that I want to go along with this mob mentality. And they might say, they might wonder about that. But it, you're showing, you're showing uh, you know, God through yourself. That Jesus wouldn't have gone around with a mob mentality. He would want to maybe, you know, we should, are we praying through this situation? Are we praying that there's good communication, that there's not a war at work, you know? Um, so there's just, that's just one example, but there's a lot of different examples. Let me just read 27 again as we close. But when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who hears it, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse. God gave us free will, for they are a rebellious house. Remember, Ezekiel's name from the beginning, we covered this, means God strengthens. And boy, did Ezekiel need to be strengthened for this ministry. You know, when I go into a situation, it doesn't matter what it is. If there's some spiritual connection to it, I pray, Lord, you know, give me the wisdom. I pray a lot before I go into a situation. I want him to strengthen me. I don't want to just do it in my own strength because I'll mess it up. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Pastor Joe going and doing it in his own strength, trust me, I will mess it up. I'll say something dumb and the multitude of words sin is not lacking. Um, I will. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not perfect. So <laughs> God needs to strengthen us. In a sense, our name could be Ezekiel too, in a spiritual sense. We need to be strengthened by God. Remember, this is a message of hope. It's also a message of truth. It's also a message of love. It's also a message of salvation. It's also a message of meaning. And it can be all those things at the same time. And that type of message needs to get out into our culture, into our world. And even those who say, I don't, you know, maybe you're down on yourself and you don't think that you have a lot of talents and gifts, but you're, 
man, you're helping us out um, greeting or ushering or in the sound booth. You know, this message goes out to more people because I checked, you know, from the live stream than could fit in this church. We have a whole audience outside of the people who are physically coming here. So you, in your small way, did you vacuum the carpet? You, you did an amazing thing. Did you uh, make it easier for the pastors to put their message together? Because you, you said, I got this covered. Right? You're doing God's will. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't think it was just insignificant. It's, nothing is insignificant in the kingdom of heaven. We all work together. No position is better than another position. Remember, this is genuine ministry. That's the title. It's not phony. It's not a show. And I think the study of Ezekiel will help us to see this over time. I want to encourage you as we go through Ezekiel that we allow God to use us, to stretch us, to deepen us. Because surely there's work to be done in our nation, in our culture, and even in our neighborhood. Because these are confusing and uncertain times. But I will leave you with this. There has to be a first step. The first step is having to know God. So you might be coming here for a while and, you know, you're, you're moving towards that direction. Receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know that he died for your sins. Before we go out into the world, we have to have a relationship with the living God. We can't put the cart before the horse. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m., And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions, or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.